John's gospel together. And unlike other points where we've gone through the whole book and we've kind of, because I've said this before, we've made a bit more of a commitment as a church to to preach exegetically. That basically means we're going to go through, when we go through a book in the Bible, we go through each chapter and we try and read it together. Um, But we decided this term just to do things slightly differently. So we're going through John's Gospel on Sunday mornings and we're doing that thematically. So we're picking themes in John that answer questions that we think our culture has, our society has. But alongside that, because we really do have a heart to want to help people learn how to read the Bible and apply it to their own lives, um, we've come up with this devotional series in John's Gospel, so it's all there for you. And our heart for that is, is so that it's for two reasons. Maybe you have been reading the Bible for many years. I know many people in, in, this, in this meeting will have done. And, uh, and so for you, we've really broken it down into very small chunks. That should then give you the opportunity to really get into depth and go into detail and go off and ask questions and random theological questions you might have. But also it's for new Christians. It's for people who might not read their Bible every day. Because it's very easy, I think, for us to get out of the habit of reading the Bible every day. And so the reason we've broken it down as much as we have done so that you can access it manageably and it will help you get into rhythm. It's really important that we develop rhythms in our spiritual behaviour, you know, that we get into a pattern um, because that helps us grow in our faith. And so just on that, I just wanted to point to two things. First of all, I apologise any spelling errors you see, they're all in my spelling errors. And um, secondly, uh, when you get to day 26, you'll realise that it jumps straight to day 28 afterwards. The text isn't missing, the, the, the Bible's all there. I added the days in last, and I must have been distracted by like a child in my house or something, because when it got to that point in time, I just didn't type in day 27. So if you're using the digital copy, it's there. If not, you just, go, it, you just can have a day off and catch up on all the days you've missed, okay? Because we, we believe in the grace of God. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, so we are in John's Gospel, and we are going to look at this, this question today that I, that I want to ask today is, where can I find acceptance? That's what we want to look at today as our theme. Where can I find acceptance? Because I think this is a question that we all ask at certain points in our life. And for some people, particularly in our society today, they're asking this constantly. Who's going to accept me? Where can I find the acceptance I need? Who's going to include me? I feel excluded. I feel rejected. Where can I find acceptance? And as I was reflecting on this personally in my own sort of personal life, I was thinking, you know, thinking back on times when I felt rejected. So, for example, when I was at school, and it was kind of, I mean, this is normal practice, isn't it? When I was at school at lunchtimes at secondary school, we'd all go outside and play football on the field. And, um, and your, your mates would be there, and they would be the, the best football players among your friends, and they would be the ones picking the teams. And I was always the last person to get picked. And I, and I was like the substitute to the substitute goalkeeper. So I'd never actually get on the pitch. And then I'd go to PE lessons, and our PE lessons at the school I, I went to weren't great. If I was an Ofsted inspector, I would be questioning some of their, their judgments. Um, and, and so it would always be the school football team versus the school reserve team. And we would just all watch. So my experience of football was that I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't, I'm not, and I'm not that good at it now. But I realised when I was thinking about it, and I felt rejected at the time. But now, if you asked me to go and play football... I would still feel worried about you rejecting me. I would still, even today, I'd be like, oh, they're going to realise that I'm no good at this. That's how I would feel. And it's interesting, isn't it, that even things way back in our past, I mean, that was like 25, 30 years ago now, way back in our past, things that have happened to us, no matter how small, can end up fueling patterns of rejection in our lives. We can feel rejected, we can feel excluded. And that can be true for many of us, but there are also then other people amongst us who suffer rejection from society every day. It might be what we look like. It might be in, um, maybe, maybe it's in, in how, we, you know, how we dress, who we associate with, what job we do or don't do, where we live. It can be multiple different reasons about why we might feel that we're suffering ongoing rejection. 
I think about my, 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 my black friends back from when we lived in, in, in Bromley, in Lewisham, and I, I, I recall very vividly one of my friends telling me about how often they suffered racist abuse. And it happens constantly. And it didn't happen to me, and we were in the same place. You know, so you can be in the same environment as somebody, and they can suffer very different things from you. And we can all suffer these things. But there, I know that there are people, in our, even in our community, community who will suffer rejection more than others. That's just, that's, um, that is the unfortunate result of the world that we live in. And Jesus then comes into the world, and this is the great news, that when we read the Gospels, what we find is, is that Jesus doesn't go and hang around with the social influences of his day. It's not like he kind of joins TikTok and, 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 and finds out who the, who the really cool, funny video people are and goes and hangs out with them. Or he goes off to the palace and hangs around with those in royalty. What he does is he goes and hangs around with all the people that the society that Jesus was in had rejected. He goes to the fishermen. He goes to the prostitutes. He goes to the tax collectors. Nobody liked tax collectors. Yeah? Even Liz Truss. He um, goes to the tax collectors. Yeah? So he went to the people that, that nobody liked. And he, and he dwelt with them. The son of man came to seek and save the lost, said Jesus. He went to those that the society around him had rejected. And I just love that. I love that that's who our saviour is. He doesn't go for the ones that everybody else has accepted. He goes for the rejected. He goes for those on the margins. Because you know what? In that, there's the truth that you and I can find acceptance. And that's what we're going to look at today. And there's another story that reminded me of this as well. That story in Luke 8 of the woman who's caught in bleeding. Imagine what that was like for her. You know, and the shame that she had over her in that society at that time. She was considered unpure and impure, and, and she had no access at all. But Jesus, in his amazing love and mercy, heals her and then reinstigates her within her society. And because of her acceptance in Jesus, she finds this new freedom. But there are other stories where we find slightly different things happening, and the story we're going to look at today is one of those, and it's John chapter 9. Now, in order for me to do this justice, I am actually going to read through the whole of John 9, so I know I've said we're not doing exegetical, but I'm actually doing this exegetically. Um, you can laugh about that if you want. Um, and uh, we're going to read it through together. I've got a few things I want to pull out as we go along, and then I just want to reflect on the blind man for a bit. Okay, so first of all, to say that a blind person being healed is a big deal. So in, in, particularly in Judaism, this would have been seen like on par with somebody being raised from the dead. Okay? For somebody to have their eyes completely made well again, that's incredible. Okay? Just, just have that in the back of your head. Anyway, verse 1 of John chapter 9. I'm reading from the NIV today. I realise that my only Bible that I've got is, that is NIV. It's far too big to carry onto a stage. And so I wanted to read it from the NIV, so I am using my phone. Um, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let me just stop there. I'm not going to stop those, but I am going to stop there. This is actually quite an important one. Um, there are teachers, Bible teachers, even today, you might have heard this, maybe you're interested in healing, um, you might have heard people say that you are ill because of something that you've done wrong. Okay, you might have actually heard that. Now, universally, that is true in that we are all suffering from the effects of the fall. Sin and sickness have entered the world, sorry, sickness and suffering have entered the world because of humankind's sin. We have all rebelled against God. Paul writes in Romans, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so as a general universal term, that is true. That is true that we are, um, we, we are suffering the effects of our fallen nature before God. And that is why we, we encounter sin and suffering. Sorry, sickness and suffering. But specifically, 
That can be true, like say, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, um, Paul's writing to them about not taking communion in the right way, and, and he says that that's why there's some people that are sick among you. But that's very rare that that is the case. Look at the story of Job. Job has done nothing wrong, but yet God uses this situation to bring glory to himself with Job. And it's the same thing in our story here. This should prove to you that any teaching that you might hear on that isn't true, isn't right, okay? Because what it says here is, Jesus says, doesn't he, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, says Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So this is one of the I am statements in John. I am the light of the world. John's already said this in John 1. He says that light is coming and the darkness will not overcome it. And we're now seeing this take place in an operation. And then we're going to find this healing story. After this, after saying this, he spat on the ground, uh, made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, the pool of Siloam, you will find a reference to it in Isaiah 8, verse 6. And there it talks about Shiloah, which is this pool of water. And it says that the Israelites reject it. Jesus is about to take a body of water. That word means sent, which depicts him, the sent one. He's about to take a body of water that has been rejected and help this man find acceptance. That's quite cool when you think about it like that. So the man went washed and he came home seeing I mean, that's the most unremarkable, like, you know, story of a healing event ever. He went, he washed, and he came home seeing. (laughs) His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, no, 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 no. He only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Notice every time he tells his story through the rest of this chapter, it's always exactly the same. That's one of the reasons why we know that his testimony is true. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. (laughs) They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now, the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, (gasps) you might say. Now, chapters 5 to 10 of John are all about Jesus encountering Jewish festivals and turning them around. So there's a healing that takes place in chapter 5 that looks quite a lot like this story, Jesus heals on a Sabbath. But you've also got the the Feast of Dedications, I think that's chapter 10, and you've got like uh, Passover, and you've got the Feast of Tabernacles. And in all of these ways, Jesus is coming into standard Jewish festivals and proclaiming that he is the light of the world. And so here we find this again here. But this is significant to our story. Why? Well, because Jesus had done something at this point in time that was very much prohibited on a Sabbath. In fact, he had broken it in three ways. So he'd broken the Sabbath on the first count that you are not meant to heal somebody on a Sabbath unless it was a life or death situation. Secondly, he'd kneaded mud. He'd spat into the dust and kneaded it with his fingers. You weren't allowed to knead on the Sabbath. Thirdly, he'd anointed somebody's eyes. You were not allowed to do that on a Sabbath. So Jesus had broken three, three kind of commands that the Israelites had about what they should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And so any amazement that this group of religious people had about this miracle taking place has now given way to suspicion, doubt, and like a theological umbrage. Oh, we're not sure about this guy. Some of the Pharisees said, this is the man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? Some were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. 
What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. So something's happening in this man's heart as we read through the story. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how we can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who had acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That means that they would be excommunicated. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, that's Jesus, is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, he's so great, this guy. Have I, have I told you already? I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why did you not want to hear? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, imagine like, imagine how cross they would have been at that, right? I just love it. They'd be like, ah. And they do, don't they? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. This is all a bit questionable, that he's kind of like his logic here, but we won't go into that. Nobody has ever been heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's got this kind of questionable logic, but he comes to the right conclusion. Jesus is the, the man he says he is, yeah? To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out and he went and found him. He said, do you believe in the son of man? That could be better translated as, do you have faith in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me that I may believe in him. Sorry, I'm just going to jump off piece for a second. The word sir there is actually the, um, the Greek Kyrie, okay? Who is he, Kyrie? The man asked, that means sir. I'll just explain that in a minute. Jesus said to him, you have now seen him, and in fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, same word, Kyrie. He's gone from seeing Jesus as sir to Jesus as Lord in two verses. Lord, I believe he worshipped him. And you know the phrase, he worshipped him there, isn't he got out of guitar and started singing, you are the way, the truth and the life. He literally fell face down on the floor and prostrated himself. I said prostrate when I was practising this the other day. Prostrated himself before Jesus. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So here we have this incredible healing story and a test of what's happened. These people want to test what Jesus has done. And I think in order for us to kind of just really get into this, what I want to do is just think of a little bit about the blind man, just for a second, this blind man. So, so why is this story so important? Why did John include this story about this blind man? Not just because he's a sarcastic, hilarious guy, who I think would have a really good stand-up routine because he just winds up the Jewish authorities all the time, but because something else. So this blind man, first of all, we need to understand something about blindness in that culture. And I think we see it in the first verse. The initial assumption from the disciples 
is that this man has sinned. That's what they think. And so if you, if you start to work that through logically, what they think's happening is, is this man sinned. Therefore, everybody else is thinking that as well. He is rejected. Do you, make, do you understand? People aren't wanting to associate with this man. And he's blind, not because of anything he's done. Secondly, he wouldn't have had any access to the care that blind people have access to today. Now, it is incredibly difficult being blind or having problems with your sight. I can't speak about that personally other than I'm short-sighted, but I've seen many people struggle with that, and it's difficult. But they have so much more available to them today in the 21st century than he would have done then. He wouldn't have had access to benefits where he's able to, where you can get them. He wouldn't have had access to benefits. He wouldn't have had access to the NHS. He wouldn't have had access to Braille, for example, or a guide dog, or any way to be able to support himself. So he was at the mercy of his local community, but we find his local community identify him not as somebody that they care for, but as a beggar. He has been rejected by the people around him. He would have been completely dependent on those around him, and he had to resort to this lifestyle of begging for money. And lastly, there's this other thing as well. And, but this is, I'm, I'm kind of, you could say, so I'm going to use a long word. It, it could be anachronistic, as in after the, the time period for me to talk about this. But I think it helps us understand the culture. So 200 years after this event takes place, Jewish people starting, Jewish scribes start writing down their rules and regulations. It's a book called the Talmud. I've read some of it. It's very boring. Okay. Half of the Talmud is called the Mishnah. Now, part of the Mishnah was written by a guy called Rabbi Judah Halnashi, and he said that he would prohibit blind people born blind from birth from saying certain prayers to God. And he said that when, um, when we go to recite daily prayers called the Shema, I've said this before, it starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one, and then it is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the Shema. But there's some blessings they pray before it. And this rabbi said that anybody who's born, been born blind couldn't say this blessing. They couldn't say, blessed be the Lord who formed light and created darkness. Why? Because they'd never seen light. So how could they bless God for something they'd not seen? So if that was the attitude 200 years after this, it's not rocket science to walk, walk backwards and think, gosh, maybe even the way of faith wasn't open to this man. Maybe there were even aspects of his own Jewish faith that he couldn't have access to because of his condition. And so he finds himself in this awful situation. But, you know, as he walks through this awful situation, light starts to dawn on him, and it's great to read it. All of a sudden, he realises, he, he sees, I mean, that's the best part, he sees. But then he realises that Jesus may be a prophet. And then by the end of the story, he's become Jesus' disciple. It's this incredible transformation journey that's taking place. Light is dawning on him. His eyes are gradually getting open and open and open. He starts with a physical healing, but it's a spiritual healing taking place all the way through the story. But at the same time, notice what's going on in the background. There is a whole group of people who are becoming blinder and blinder and blinder through the story. And those are the ones who think that they can earn God's approval by doing righteous works themselves. That by following the law of Moses... They, they, they can actually receive sight. But Jesus is saying to them, and this is what happens at the end of the story, you are blind because you don't acknowledge that you need a saviour, is what he's getting at. So there's this role reversal taking place. Now, what's the consequence then of this man being healed? Because we can read this story. It's a wonderful story. There's this role reversal taking place. He comes to faith in Jesus. He comes to faith in Jesus. He becomes a disciple. What's the consequence of this story? Well, acceptance. 
He finally knows acceptance. In answer to the question I posed at the start of this, where can I find acceptance? Well, it's in Jesus, obviously. He finally knows acceptance. He's been on the outside his whole life, but now, all of a sudden, he has been accepted by somebody. He's been accepted and welcomed in. And surely, like, we could kind of work that through a little bit further, though, and go, yeah, but he's also been healed. And it doesn't, you know, two plus two, you could start working this through a little bit. Surely, now that he's been miraculous, miraculously healed, his life, like, his life is going to be a lot better, isn't it? He's going to be able to get a new job. Maybe, you know, he'll be able to have a family himself. Maybe his whole kind of life chances have now been able to start finding kind of a, a prosperity to them. He's going to find approval from his society. Surely, you could then say, because Jesus goes on to teach into this in the next chapter in John, John 10, when he talks about being the good shepherd. So surely you could get there, logically, and say, okay, so when Jesus gets to John 10, 10, and he says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly, he's talking about this blind man now being able to live a better life because he's received sight. Surely that's what he's about. Well, no, actually, no. Um, just look at the story. As this man accepts Jesus, as this man accepts Jesus, he doesn't find acceptance from everybody else. As he finds acceptance in Jesus, the response of the people around him isn't to accept him, it's to reject him even more. So we have the, uh, the, the neighbours who betray him. They hand him over to the temple. We have the temple who excommunicate the man. And then we have his own parents who disown him. There's a psalm, Psalm 27, verse 10, and it says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. As this, as this man walks through this story of finding acceptance in Jesus, he is rejected everywhere he goes. So abundance in life. Jesus talks about abundance in life. What is he talking about then? Because he's not talking about prosperous life when we get to John 10.10. 10. He's not talking about, if you follow Jesus, all of a sudden you're going to find prosperity. You're going to get a better house, a better car, a better job, whatever else. That's not what Jesus is getting at at all. When we follow Jesus and find acceptance in Jesus, we can, and Jesus says this, find life and life in abundance. But what is that life and abundance like? Well, to understand that, we need to ask a question. Where is abundant life? Abundant life exists and has always existed and will for always ever exist within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. There is perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect love within the unity and relationship that exists between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you want to find the place in all of creation where this exists, it's firstly within the Godhead, and that is then where the Godhead dwells, which is in heaven. We see this take place. There is a perfect unity, a perfect joy, a perfect community. This is abundant life. So when Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly, what he's saying is, I have come that they may have access to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I have come that they may enter into a relationship of engaging with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's not saying, I have come that, that, that you might have a good life. That's not what he's talking about. Like in terms of the way that our world would, would like frame that. You know, I've come that you might have a better job. I've come that you might have more money in the bank account. He's not getting at that at all. He's saying, I've come that you have life and life in abundance. And that life in all its abundance is a relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. It's walking into that relationship with the triune God. And we can do that in, in three ways. So we can do that as we encounter 
the Father's heart of love towards us. So from the basis of acceptance, this is where we stand. We're not trying to earn acceptance. We found acceptance in Jesus. We've sung it all the way through this morning. Chris picked some brilliant songs to explain this today. We have found acceptance in Jesus, not because of ourselves, but because of him. But on that basis, from that foundational level of finding acceptance in Jesus, we can now engage in encountering the heart of the Father's love for us. We can know his love ever increasingly over our lives. We can dwell into it. That's where you'll find abundant life. We can know the the grace of the Saviour over us. The grace of, of, of his love over us. It doesn't matter what we've done. We find acceptance in Jesus because of, because of who he is. And lastly, we can find freedom and joy in the Holy Spirit. So abundant life isn't prosperous life. It's not. Abundance life, abundant life is, is knowing and living into who God is and living as part of that because you get welcomed into God's community. That's both the church. We'll talk about that more in a bit as I finish. But it's also God's community as in within the Godhead himself. You get invited into that relationship. Paul writes in Colossians 2, that um, Colossians 2 verse 9, that in Christ, the fullness of, of, of the Godhead was pleased to dwell. Jesus is fully God, yeah? But then in the next verse, he goes on to say, we have received that fullness. We've received the fullness of God to our, into our lives. So we've been accepted Abundant life now looks like receiving and living into the abundance of God in us. That's what it looks like. Um, how do we do that? Well, look, we do that in two ways. We need to live into him. That, that means actually spending time um, with him, reminding ourselves of who he is. As Jonathan said earlier on, reading his word, that's how we engage with God, but it's also engaging with the Holy Spirit as well. And there's a third way, and the third way is through the community of, of faith. Because... We should be an example to the world around us what acceptance in the Godhead looks like, what abundant life looks like. This man, hopefully, by the time he got to Acts 2 and the church had formed, started to find acceptance in community, in church community. He didn't find it in Judaism. He didn't find it in community. He didn't even find it in his family. But I suppose my hope is as he followed Jesus in discipleship, he started to meet other disciples and he found community there. He found acceptance there. He found love there. And that's our role. Our role in the world is to be ambassadors for Christ, is to be witnesses for him and a flavour of heaven to the world around us. We should demonstrate radical acceptance in this church community. No matter what you look like, no matter what job you do, no matter what associations you have, when you come in here, we're all one in Christ Jesus. That's what it says in Galatians 3.28. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so just to encourage us in that. But I think there are some other things here as well. Because some of us could have been mistaken for thinking that when Jesus talks about life and life in all its fullness or abundance, depending on your translation, that that meant that actually um, you, you should be getting a better job. You should be getting a better house. You should be getting more money in the bank account if you follow Jesus. And that is mistaken theology. It's not good theology. It's not good Bible teaching. But maybe you've heard that. And maybe as a result of hearing that, you don't think that Jesus has fully accepted you. Well, he can't do, because surely if, if Jesus accepted me, the outworking of that acceptance should be all this stuff in my life. But I'm, what I'm trying to show you is that that's not true at all. <laughs> it's not true at all. Jesus has fully accepted you. And the abundance of life is about relationship with him. But you know, this is probably one of my favourite quotes, and it's, a, it's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says this, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bids him come and die. When Christ calls you, He calls you to die to what the world teaches you. He calls you to die to what the world is saying. 
He calls you to die to your own ambition. He calls you to die to self, selfish pride. He calls you to die to, to any sort of things that you think are, are, are all about you. And he invites you to follow him. When Christ calls a man, he bids him die. But you know, here's the irony. Jesus says, unless a, a seed falls to the floor and dies, it will not bear fruit. As we die in Jesus, dying to ourselves and dying to the world around us, we discover life and life in all its fullness. It's the, it's the great paradox that we kind of, we find. And so, anyway, as we finish, I, I think there's three areas of application for us this morning. Um, I, first of all, because I've touched on it, and I've not really gone into massive detail on the, this whole idea of rejection, but some of us are suffering with rejection, and it might be something really trivial, like I had from a long time ago, and, and I joke about it now, because it's not a big deal, but it, for others of us, small things might have led to big things in us. The devil's got a foothold in our lives and, and, and made us feel um, in, in, inadequate. And I think God wants to just speak into that today and, and speak acceptance back into your life again. That's the first thing. Secondly, maybe you, can, maybe you can just relate to everything I've been saying about the abundance of life. You thought abundance of life was about prosperity. It's not. And you thought that, and, and then you've been trying to earn God's approval, but also you've then been getting more and more frustrated with God because it doesn't, you don't feel like you've been accepted in the way you thought because you've tried to get, you thought you were going to get all this stuff and it's not happened. And I just want to invite you in a minute just to actually come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry I got this wrong. <laughs> Jesus, would you show me what it means to find real abundance of life? And thirdly, maybe you've been a bit of a Pharisee. So in this story I said it's like there's two things going on. There's this man who finds acceptance, not because of anything he's done, but because Jesus loves him. And then there's the Pharisees who are trying every way to find acceptance with God through good works. But in the meantime, they're closing themselves off to relationship with God. Maybe you've just been trying to earn God's acceptance by doing good works. And so I want to give you that um, moment in a second to, to come back to him. So what we're going to do is we're just going to pray over those three things before we close. Jesus, I love this story. I love the fact you met this blind man where he was. And Jesus, we thank you that you radically changed his destiny. The, the, the blindness to sight is incredible in and of itself. But what's more incredible is the end of the story when you, you make him your disciple and he follows you and he calls you Lord. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that this man came to salvation in you. And Lord, there is no greater thing than that. Um, and, but Lord, we just come this morning and I just pray for any of my friends here this morning who might be just walking into this. Maybe they felt excluded even as they've been in the room today. Lord, I, I pray that's not the case, but that might be the case for some here this morning. Lord, maybe they're just walking with rejection hanging over them. And Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would take that away. Just come and breathe your acceptance over them. They are chosen and dearly loved. What a wonderful phrase in that song we sang earlier reminding us of what it says in Ephesians, that we were called and chosen before the creation of the world to be, to be adopted as sons and daughters. Lord, I just speak that acceptance over their lives today, that, that they are children of God. Speak that acceptance over their lives today, that they have been made heirs with Christ. Speak that acceptance over their lives, that they have a Father who loves them. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody here who's been walking in that sense of rejection, that we, we speak acceptance over them right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who's just got this whole idea of abundance life twisted. They, they, they think that abundant life is just prosperity. Lord, but really it's about knowing you, Jesus. Really it's about understanding who you are. Lord, I pray for them right now. You just help them to reflect on that. But also then help them to walk in grace and put new rhythms in place in their life where they can understand and grow into their relationship with you, Father, with you, Son, and you, Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, we also ask you for anyone here today who's been trying to earn the approval or earn your approval through good works. Lord, we thank you we're not disciples of Moses. We're disciples of Jesus. And Lord, we want to live into that grace that you give us, Lord Jesus. And so we pray for any of our friends here who are struggling with that. I pray again they would just you just proclaim your amazing grace over them this morning. Amen. Amen. Just as another response to this, um, as we close, as I said, church community is so important, and this is where we can help find acceptance. And so I suppose my encouragement to you, as we meet on Sunday mornings, we go and talk to somebody who doesn't look like you. Go and get to know somebody who hasn't who, who, who you've not spoken to before. That's so important that we do that. You know, we want this church, it's a bit of a mouthful, but we want this church to be full of category-defying relationships. Young and old people chat to one another. People who talk to one another, or don't talk to one another when they walk by each other on the street, but they're friends in church, and then they talk to one another on the street. We want that to be the case, because that demonstrates the diversity of the kingdom. And lastly, if you are struggling with rejection as a thing, This can be quite a big, deep-seated thing. And there's two things I just suggest to you. First of all, you do freedom in Christ. And so Paul and Barbara are here this morning. Do you want to give us a wave, Paul and Barbara? There you go. And secondly, um, as well, for some of us, it might mean further counselling. And and if that's the case for you, then please do speak to me about it. I can recommend some good Christian counsellors who'll be able to walk that through with you.